Welcome to Eerie Essex. I'm Bethan Briggs-Miller. And I'm Ailsa Clark. Thank you for joining us on our journey into the strange side of the county. We will be exploring the folklore, urban legends and supernatural encounters that form part of its rich history. Welcome to episode 29, where this month we are looking at cryptids. We've been here before and we couldn't wait to get back because we do love weird creatures. And we've got some fabulous ones for you all this month, haven't we, Elsa? We've got some fabulous ones and we've got some suspicious ones. Yeah, some I'm not convinced by, but it's a good story. <laughs> we apologise for the break. Uh, unfortunately, there may be more of them. Life, unfortunately comes with issues and we'll keep doing as much as we possibly can yeah hopefully we we, i mean we've got some good guests line up we've got our on the road series and we'll do them as and when we can adelsa said we won't be going far i mean we won't be going we'll just be retreating coming back retreating (laughs) coming back that's the one (laughs) we'll try we'll try and be as regular as we possibly can you make it sound like we're constipated (laughs) Um, it's your turn to start this month, I believe, as I kicked off last one. What it have you got for us? It's what I've got is a misunderstanding. Ooh. But thankfully it's a short one. I found an interesting little note on the paranormal database mentioning um a Spring Hill Jack that had been seen in Little Clacton back in nineteen oh six. To remind us what a Spring Hill Jack looks like, here's the description from two people who first encountered him during the Victorian period. With a diabolical physiognomy, clawed hands, eyes that resembled red balls of fire, uh, one report claimed that beneath a black cloak he wore a helmet with a tight-fitted white garment like an oil skin. Many stories also mention a devil-like aspect. Others said that he was tall and thin with the appearance of a gentleman. Several reports mentioned that he could breathe out blue and white flames and he wore sharp metallic claws at his fingertips at least two people claimed that he was able to speak comprehensible english so springhill jacks were spotted all over the country for quite a few decades starting in 1838 with an attack on a young woman called jane allsop allsop believed her attacker to be human at first italy threw back his cloak revealing metal claws that tore at her dress and then he opened his mouth uh, spewing blue and white flames Another attack happened shortly after this one in a respectable area of Limehouse in London. This time the assailants sprung away from the scene with a jump that surely would have broken a human's ankles. After this, the idea of these inhuman jumps, the fiery breath and the devil-like appearance, in some cases including horns, were all the hallmarks of a Spring Hill Jack encounter. Now, in our case, there isn't a description. The article I found in the newspaper was almost cryptic in its... Uh, are you saying this is a cryptid? cryptid? It's a cryptic cryptic cryptid. So uh, this is what I found in the newspaper in 1906. A spring-heeled jack was neatly laid by his heels on Friday in the village of Little Clacton, where for a long time he had ter- terrified the inhabitants by his ghost-like wanderings. He fell into a trap set for him and was given a sound thrashing with a stout stick. So there are a few people accused of being the actual spring-heeled jack including some noblemen, one of whom was known as the Mar- the Mad Marquis. Um, his name was Henry, I'm going to mispronounce this, De La Pua Beresford. Good name. Yeah, it's not the only good name I've got tonight. I've got an even better one. Since he was, a, he apparently was known for his vicious practical jokes, brawling in public, and he had bad experiences with both the law and women, and women were the main victims of these attacks. Other people believe that... Uh, the Springhill Jack was a cryptozoological creature or a supernatural entity, possibly a demon um, someone had summoned to carry out a series of attacks to cause mass hysteria. And 
that's undoubtedly what it did. It took going back a little further in the archive um, and searching for some early mentions of a Spring Hill Jack and Clacton uh, to figure out this mystery, though. Six years earlier, a series of attacks on young women took place in Little Clacton, attributed to a Spring Hill Jack. Except they knew the identity of this Jack. It was a young man without employment or a home. And the most adorable name ever. His name was Bernard Percy Bear. Oh no, that's such a cute name. He's so cute. I know. It's, seriously, the cutest name for the horriblest little twat. <laughs> Bernard became known as Springhill Jack because of his propensity for jumping out or over hedges to attack his victims. So six years ago in 19, uh, 1900, he was caught for doing just this and was sentenced to a month of hard labour in Little Clacton. This didn't seem to dissuade him from carrying out his attacks six years later, uh, which is when we get the cryptic message, newspaper, the Northern Constitution. Uh, the cryptic nature of the report, though, the cryptic nature of the report may stem from the vigilante style of the trap. I did find another report in the Essex Weekly about how a ghost was laid. So this is... Uh, this is no, I, did I make a guess? Is there anything about sending it to the Red Sea or the Dead Sea? No, oh, no, okay, no. this is different. A ghost was laid at Little Clacton in more than one sense. In the winter, women and children have been frightened by a white-robed figure that haunted the lanes and by-roads. Suspicion falling upon one of the villages, a scheme was prepared to lay him by the heels, which were reputedly springed. Disguised as a woman, a small man tripped nervously along the road one dark night and fled screaming when the ghost appeared. The figure in white glided after the runaway, but had not proceeded far when it found itself in the grip of a stalwart resident who had been lying in ambush. The ghost did not behave at all like a self-respecting spirit. It trembled and whimpered, pleaded for mercy. Its pleading was in vain. The muscular captor had a big, thick and... <laughs> Sorry. I beg your pardon. Where are you going with this? <laughs> uh, the, 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 the print in this newspaper is very hard to read, I have to say that. The muscular, <laughs> the muscular captor had a big stick. That's not any better, really, is it? And for a few minutes afterwards, the air was laden with the sounds that were by no means spiritual. What? <laughs> it looks like it says, when the lay of physical anguish had ceased, there was some talk about a prosecution for assault and battery. But down to yesterday, no judicial information had been laid by the Little Clacton ghost. The Little Clacton ghost sounds so adorable. It was not, though. It was Bernard Percy Bear jumping out at women and getting yes, sounds pretty nasty. with a big stick. Yes. So that is the, the Little Clacton Spring Hill Jack, a cryptid. <laughs> mm, very loose term. <laughs> it was a, lo a loose definition. A loose character. I like that one. Yeah. Short but sweet. Short but sweet. Cryptid. Hmm. Adorable name. Yes. Interesting story. Yes. I got something a little bit more monstrous. Ooh, excited to hear this one. Well, I have heard this one a couple of times um, and I've always like sort of put it off because I wasn't quite sure if it needed a standalone episode or whether it fit in with cryptids. But um, I've decided to put it in this one just because I want to talk about it. Because as well as looking at like the paranormal, supernatural and cryptozoology of the area, I've been looking at like from a historical point of view, the 1953 tidal surge and how it just like destroyed most of Canvey Island because I'm doing some studies on coastal erosion. But it seems with that massive tidal surge um, came perhaps some creatures that would normally be in the depths or from far away got washed upon the shore. And a couple of these. Grayson Perry did an exhibition, well, part of his... Um... The story of that the in the house for Essex of the woman involves the Cam the Canvey Island floods. Mm. I mean, it was it was huge. I mean, you can read some of the diary entries from people who survived it, and it's pretty horrific. I mean, it happened so fast. It was while people were sleeping, and the stories of parents like pushing their children out of like skylights into like waiting hands and then drowning it's pretty horrific oh, that's horrible it's horrible so um there was two creatures that washed upon the shore both nicknamed the canvey island monster uh one in 1953 and one a bigger one in 1954 
And there's a wonderful um, newspaper report by a resident called Colin Day. Uh, he was a child at the time, and he actually witnessed the first creature that was washed up. And this is what he said. I was there. So the there is in capital letters. I was a young lad of nine at the time, and I noticed a group of peers in a crowd on the beach. Kids were prodding it with their spades. I actually touched it. Colin's a badass. Yeah, he's the leader. <laughs> I thought it was a person at first. And you touched it, Colin. Kids poking dead bodies. What is with that? As I could only see part of it through the crowd. Its flesh was not fish-like scales. It was a pinkish colour and looked like wobbly human flesh with cellulite and a sort of orange peel texture. Ooh. Yum. I remember shouting to the other kids, it's a mermaid, over and over. I have to say that even at 66, my long-term memory is excellent, especially about the day I saw my first mermaid. Oh. And he poked it. And he poked it. <laughs> the remains of the den dead animal were cremated quickly. Oh, God. And the residents of Canary Island continued on with their lives. Until. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, dun, dun. Another one washed upon the shore. Um, and there's an account from, well, I think one of the first people who were on the scene was the Reverend Joseph Overs. And this was in August now, so this was summer. And um, he described the beast in a bit more detail. Um, it was over four feet long with staring eyes and a large mouth. And it was, it had very razor sharp teeth. It was, I mean, I'll show you a picture in a minute. I'll screen share and I will show you a picture of the creature because it did take a picture. And there was an islander that said, when I, oh, so it got people talking about the strange things everyone had seen on Canvey Island. And in this newspaper report, it says, when I returned to Canvey and lived in Bardenville Road around 1962 to three, we had some other rather unwelcome visitors. They were furry and anything up to two feet long and had platypus-like flat tail and the head of a rat. What? So this person says, my sister noticed the first one, which must have come up from the creek in our back garden. She told mum about an oversized rat and shortly afterwards, the coipus were reported in the local press and islanders warned to keep clear of them as they would attack. No. They attack at the platypus. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the movie we never knew we needed. There's um there's a fantastic movie that me and my brother used to every time it came on it was on one of those like black and white movie channels we'd immediately have to watch it and it was called Attack of the Killer Shrews oh amazing and they so the this is how great the I don't know what era it was made in but it was um this is how great their effects were the the way that they did the the the, the giant killer shrews was that they basically put uh, long ratty tails and weird like masks on dogs apparently in the and film just like let alien. a pack of dogs go you know like prometheus yeah you know this the, uh, without you know uh, i can i can do spoilers can't i prometheus has been out a while it's been out a long time <laughs> skip five minutes if you want to watch it and don't want spoilers basically there was like the young version of the xenomorph but they just put a costume on a on a whippet <laughs> Which made it a bit more adorable and less scary. Do you think we can get Casper to wear something? Oh, he isn't actually that bad with wear. Like I've put sort of collars with bows on him before, and he's had a little scarf. But I can just imagine the look he'd give me. Yeah, no, your your cat can throw shade. Oh yeah. Um, I did find another report which went into a bit more detail about the creatures, some of which might throw light onto what it probably was. Um, so I think a lot of people said, oh, that looks like a monkfish. So monkfish aren't the, and they're tasty, but they're not the prettiest of creatures. But mm -hmm. I think one thing that makes them stand apart is that the Canary Island monsters had feet. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, you don't expect to find on a monkfish. So they were reddish, brown had very large eyes and these sort of like weird feet. Um, the 1953 specimen had hind legs with five-toed horseshoe-shaped feet with concave arches. Mm. So it looks like it was a biped, according to them, but it didn't have any forelimbs, so it was just the legs. So that was the one that was cremated. So unfortunately, you know, no one can have a look into it see what it was the 1954 specimen was similar but much larger as i said that was four feet whereas the 1953 one was two feet and they don't know what happened to that carcass so apparently that wasn't cremated but 
there are thoughts that it wasn't a monkfish. It was a very, very particular type of anglerfish. Now, have you seen what anglerfish look like? Yes. Flipping terrifying. I didn't realize how big they were. How big are they then? How big do they get? Huge. I've seen them before on a Norwegian fish market, but to be honest, I wasn't paying close attention because I hate fish and I didn't really want to be there. Well, it lures you in with the light. It's scary. And like the, as as you well know, the first episode of the Magnus Archives is called Anglerfish. Yes, yeah. So it has that sort of connotation for us horror fans. But there's a there is a type of anglerfish called the frogfish, and they live in the Atlantic Pacific. I can never say Pacific without saying specific first. <laughs> Atlantic, Pacific, and Indian Ocean, as well as the Red Sea. And they have similar features, such as that red-brown colour, large eyes, and feet. <laughs> so, I mean, especially with that massive tidal surge that brought waters from like quite far up. I mean, it could have washed this creature, which never would have normally been seen, mm. onto the beach. But that hasn't stopped it becoming this you know, legends that people talk about even now and has even spawned, Elsa, <laughs> a couple of films uh, made by local amateur filmmakers. So first of all, what I'll do is I'll do a screen share so you can see the creature, okay? okay. So the one on the left is the Canvey mm. Island monster. Mm-hmm. The one on the right is monkfish, just to give you, you know, an idea. So bear with me. Oh, yeah. That could definitely be what it was. Yeah. And I think from what I've seen... Oh, God, it's so horrible. It is pretty grim. So the the frog-like anglerfish is very much like that, um, except it's got those little tiny feet at the back. So it seems likely it's one, uh, that or or the anglerfish. Not to, you know, ruin it for everyone, because everyone likes a story. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm now showing Elsa a poster of the film called The Canvey Island Monster Returns. So they did two films and they were, bless them, this is, um, I mean, have you heard of Beyond the Point? Yes. Yeah, it's them when they were teenagers. Oh. Which I think is absolutely adorable. If you're listening to us, guys, well done. You obviously had so much fun making this and it's lovely to wallow in like a local legend, which you obviously did and had such good fun. Um, you like you were inspired by Hot Fuzz. Definitely inspired by Hot Fuzz. Well, um, Edgar Wright did um, a version of Hot Fuzz in school, and oh, they've, right. they've put that in the extras of Hot Fuzz. So um, if ever you you guys make a, you know a film later on, please put this in the extras because it's <laughs> it's golden. And it's on YouTube, and I will put I put links in the uh, bio. You can go and watch it. There's also a comedy that won some awards, and it was called Manfish, and it's about these this couple that find this like sort of half fish half man creature on the beach and take it home and look after it and they're trying to work out how they can make money off it and it's is, it, is it it's like obviously... the shape of water a very essex version of the shape of water <laughs> um but i did i partly why i love this story so much is that it's just like you know spawned these wonderful crazy imaginative films and hopefully many more i hope so too <laughs> i hope so so yeah if anyone finds anything weird washed up on canvey island yeah let us know see i thought you were going to say it was a dead seal because no. that's happened quite a lot especially with the feet and everything yeah no i think it's definitely let me look i did get a picture of the um frog anglerfish hang on hang on a minute uh now it'll be able to see now that this does look kind of like I'll, I'll share screen again, bear with that. Reddish brown feet. Yeah, the feet are crazy. And well, as we all know, the ocean has some freaking weird fish. We'll so have to put this on the Instagram. Yeah. You might have to just send me the photos. I'll send you because the photos. I'm not Googling fit I'm not Googling deep sea creatures. It'll just put me off every meal in a day. Look at that one. It's like Pikachu. That one's kinda cute. That one is kinda cute. It's like a Pokemon. It is like a Pokemon. <laughs> Yum, yum, yum. Stop showing me fish. <laughs> I keep forgetting you hate fish. Okay, well, well, we'll I'll stop talking about fish now. Have you got any other? I've got um, two more, and uh, this one is the one I've been hyping up to you. Yay, I can't wait. So I'm going to read a description out first from uh, Beasts of Britain by Andy McGrath. So alongside Bigfoot, there's often talk of another hairy biped in Britain. Witnesses describe a creature 
five to seven feet in height with a dog or wolf-like head. It can be heavily built with a man-like body or thin and emaciated with a wolf-like body. It's covered in coarse shaggy hair and is either black, brown or sandy in colour. Its locomotion is both bipedal and quadruped pedal. It is highly aggressive but not harmful to humans. Occasionally preys on dogs or kills them and can leap great distances, sometimes vertically. Reports are generally rarer than Bigfoot, both in the UK and USA, with notable UK sightings in Snowdon, the Black Mountains, East Yorkshire, Staffordshire, Derbyshire and the Scottish Highlands. Yet eyewitnesses all tell terrifying tales that share a frightening, frightening similarity with one another, as far apart as Wales to Wisconsin. And this is... I have never heard the thing, Wales to Wisconsin. That Wales is, to Wisconsin. That is niche. <laughs> yeah, a good, good turn of phrase. So that is a description of uh, a phenomenon called the Dogman. Um, and it is very similar to a werewolf, but there is so much dispute about what the differences actually are. Some people say it's because the Dogman is a Dogman all the time and that he's got a dog face but a human body. And then sometimes he has human legs and sometimes he has the backwards dog legs. You hear it a lot. And then there's that really good um, series on uh, Amazon Prime called These Woods Are Haunted. And there's like equal amount of Bigfoot and Dogman episodes. And I find them quite scary. Um, and this seems to be a crossover with Skinwalkers. Yes. Yeah. It's um, it's a real mashup of all kinds of different things and they cross over so much. And as I was trying to find out more about it, I was going through different people's forums and I found that some people believe that dogmen are a relatively new cryptid appearing back around the 1980s. However, if you really look into it, there are stories about dog-headed men that appear all around the world throughout history. Famously in Egypt, you have the jackal-headed god Anubis. In the Eastern Orthodox Church... St. Christopher was said to have a gi- uh, was said to be a gigantic dog-headed man who ate human flesh and barked. However, when I don't he remember met the Christ- that in Sunday school, <laughs> you're not Eastern Orthodox, so are you? However, when he met the Christ child, he regretted his behaviour and reformed himself. In medieval times, in the court of Charlemagne, the Norse Vikings were known as the Dogheads and were said to have bloodthirsty natures. And this may be in part because the way their berserkers wore animal skins with the heads attached to their own into battle. Um, dog-headed men also appear in Welsh in the Welsh triads, the stories of King Arthur in Buddhist literature, um, in China, in Native American folk traditions. And now we have reports of the dogman in Essex. Yay! <laughs> So these both come from Deborah Hartwell's excellent map of cryptids, which um, we should put a link in the show notes for them. Yeah, my next story is from Deborah. We love you, Deborah. <laughs> yeah, she's a great resource of information. Um, so the first one comes from Broomfield, which is on the outskirts of Chelmsford. And I'm just going to read this out as it was written. So it's not me saying uh, this. It's uh, the person who wrote in, which I don't have their name, unfortunately. We lived in Broomfield in a very rural area surrounded by thick woods and fields back then, and there was a small farm down a single track road. My first encounter with this thing, that I can only describe as a beast, was seen in our garden about 11.30pm one night when I was about 13 or 14 years old. My stepdad had just come in after driving back from the pub and he was in the kitchen making toast when I went down to get a drink of water. The back garden floodlight was switched off as it was very bright and almost blinding when it came on. My stepdad noticed something moving about the garden as he was looking out of the window. He questioned what he was seeing so I took a look and as we tried to work out what it was... We could not make it out very clearly, so we switched the the floodlight on. In the bright light, we now see, all right, as plain as day, there was this thing down on all fours drinking water from the pond. It was huge. It was black, very wide and very muscular. It turned and looked towards the house when the light came on. I'm assuming it couldn't see us as we were shielded by the blinding light. I have never seen anything like it before. Its face was just like a dog, but it looked much more fierce than any domestic dog, and its features were very strong and defined. This creature was covered in thick black hair from head to toe. My stepdad and I just stood there in shock. It moved away from the pond, stood up on its back legs like a human, and leapt over the tall garden hedge. This hedge was about 10 foot tall, and I had no trouble clearing it. Then it was gone. So after this, um, her stepdad 
told her, we'll never talk of this. And uh, he promptly decided to pretend to have forgotten. So they never spoke of it again. Um, She did have another strange incident where not too long after this, she was coming home from a friend's house and she was walking together and there was a large broken hole in the side of a barn um, they had to walk close by to. And they seemed to see an animal in there. And when they got close, they both noticed the animal that was inside the barn edged away and was looking out of a hole at them. And uh, she said when she saw it, she knew she had seen it before and it was this thing. Um, And they both promptly scarped off. Uh, Where is this again? This is in Broomfield in Chelmsford, just outside Chelmsford. You know what I'm going to suggest? Foxes? That we go for a walk and try and find it. <laughs> Sorry, it was because the next um, the next thing she says, talks about is, is foxes, because she says that there were a few neighbours in the area who all said they heard weird howling at night, but she knew it wasn't foxes because she grew up hearing foxes and this was not a fox. So, um, yes, that is the, the Broomfield beast. But there's another one. This one's a little different, actually. It's not quite the same dogman description that you'd recognize it sounds more like a black shark but they does get classed under the dogman go for it go for it we'll 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 rate its shockability <laughs> so uh this next one from is from basildon from another girl who was about 14 and 15 at the time she was with a large group of friends um they would meet up after school and hang out on street corners causing mayhem the usual teenage antics and uh, they were a group of about 30, but they would split up into smaller groups and kind of find other places because often they'd get split up by the police because Basildon. So she thinks, the, so the first story, by the way, was in, I think, 94. This is in October 95. So they'd been hanging, hanging out around an old church on a big hill near her house. And uh, seven of them broke off and walked down a sloping road from the church and they sat down in a circle at the base of a small uh, rinse in a field, rise in a field, and the sun and bank began to sat behind them. And they were chatting away, and suddenly they hear something being killed in the bushes behind them. Uh, they say it's like a rabbit screaming. And one of her Oh, God, friends... rabbit screaming is the worst sound. Mm. It sounds like a child. Oh, God. And one of her friends joked, it must be a werewolf. And she laughed and said, no, nah, it's just a fox killing something for its dinner. About two minutes later, she looked up and saw the biggest black dog wolf thing she describes it as she has ever seen. And she said she's pretty much, she she uttered the F word. Everyone turned around and she says she knows a lot about animals. She was a vet tech. And she said this thing was taller than an Irish wolfhound, but bulky like, like an Alsatian with huge glowing eyes. And it started to growl at us. And they all just stood and stared. And she says that she can still remember the, the sound it made in its throat to this day. She told everyone to get up really slowly and don't run because she was sure it was going to chase them. And they all took about five steps back and then someone shouted, run! So they all ran off in mass hysteria and bolted back up the hill. Unfortunately, she left her best friend behind <laughs> who was terrified of dogs. Um, so she, her best friend obviously made it, but was slower than the rest of them getting up the hill. And she apparently forgave her. So this happened back in, like, I think it was 95, I said. And then about four years years ago, she took her terrier for a walk up there, forgetting what had actually happened. And she stumbled into this fit, into the same field, and then paused on the on the rise, remembering what she'd seen, and the dog started to growl. So... She did what she did last time and ran away. That's a fab story. So I'm not sure if that one is Dogman or if that one's Black Shuck or if that one's, you know, some... I mean, you've got the glowing eyes. Yeah. I'd say it's Shucky, but... With a... with a Shucky with a hint of Dogman. Shucky with a hint of Dogman. That sounds like a really good rock band. <laughs> um, so there are several other sightings of the Dogman in close proximity though these take place outside of Essex most of them in London how dare you <laughs> I know I know how dare it cross the border honestly but go for it if it's linked then go for it um I'm not going to go through all I'm not going to go through the stories themselves I'm just going to kind of gloss over them quickly so several take place uh, around Hackney in the Walthamstow wetlands uh one oh, isn't that the one that Danny Robbins went on about I'm not sure he was talking about the marsh, like wetland, there was a, a strange dog-like creature. Yeah, that could be it. And he lives um, in Walthamstow. Yeah. I'll ask him. I need to spoke about that. 
Um, so one of them happened in the 70s, between 70s and 80s. There was one last report in 2012. Two reports claimed that they saw a bear-like creature. And this is then, so, the bear-like creature is again something that uh, appeared again in Wanstead in 2008. So they describe a hairy thing with strange, with a strange face, but a human-like body hunched over doing something like a human possibly couldn't do, like climb up and jank, uh, jump really high and hang from things uh, for long periods of time. Um, and then there's another one in Belvedere in southeast London on the other side of the Thames. So there's uh, lots of sightings of something terrifying, hairy, and distinctly not human hanging around in the southeast. And uh, hot. <laughs> good Friday night date. I found some theories about what this could be in two unlikely places. Reddit and David Attenborough. The two crossover. <laughs> so many. To- no, they don't. <laughs> so in his feature, Giant Egg, David Attenborough speculates that the injury, a type of lemur from Madagascar, could re- be responsible for some of the myths of dog-headed men. I think because when the injury stands up, it looks like a human body with a dog's head. So maybe it was responsible for people who'd uh, from that side of the world. Um, but on Reddit, and you'll like this, Bethan, this will be right up your street. Someone suggested some of these sightings could be goats standing on their hind legs. How many supernatural incidents can we blame on goats? Quite a few. Quite <laughs> a few. And as I always say, probably a randy goat because a they are, they act weird. They, they smell, smell weird. Disgusting. <laughs> and yeah. I love that. But I mean, even a goat stand have you seen goats standing on their back legs? I know Black Philip does in look- the film Witch. Yeah. But they do do that. They yeah. there's that really there's a couple of like, you know, you see them on reels, like where people own goats and they see their goat doing it and they're like, call the priest. <laughs> so uh quadrupeds acting like bipeds. Sounds like the most plausible explanation for sightings of dogmen I can think of. I think throughout history, probably a combination of propaganda, superstition and sightings of animals behaving unexpectedly gave rise to the dogman. That's a fab one. I like that we've got variations on dog stuff. So it's not just werewolves. It's not just shucks. We've got we've got a dogman too. Yeah, I mean, I went for the dogman because I'd never heard of it until I started looking at Deborah's map. I'd never heard of it in Britain. I've heard of it in America. Um, but yeah, I didn't know we had. Well, I mean, the same as I didn't know we had Bigfeet over here. Bigfoots. What's the plural of Bigfoot? Big Bigfoots. I think yeah. Bigfeet sounds weird. I mean, we've got our own variation. The Woodwoes, and we are. We were going to put some in this episode, but we've actually found a fair few that make it um, qualified it for its own episode. And we are. We we keep saying it. And we are going to go to Epping Forest <laughs> <laughs> to have a look for one, but. Uh, Apparently, there's well, I won't, spoiler alert. There's one near Colchester. Yes, there is. There's a, there was a hairy man. Though I think that that could honestly just be some man, some man, some bathing. Yeah, as, as we know in Colchester, the what we're well known middle, for our, <laughs> our big hairy men. We no, even in the middle of the high street in the middle of summer, men will just wander around with like nothing. Yeah, horrifying sometimes. <laughs> Can be horrifying. Yeah. Well, we've done fishy. We've done doggy. doggy. <laughs> this episode is getting more and more innuendo. <laughs> and I literally didn't mean that one. That was that was unintentional innuendo. We've, we've done we've done hitting we've done thrashing something with a big stick. We have. Do you fancy something a bit lizardy? Oh yes, please. Just, we'll, we'll wander into the reptiles now, shall we? Yes, let's go over to the reptile display. <laughs> it's like look, t- this way to the reptile room. So we're going back to Clacton. Woo! Um, Never leave Clacton. It's where all the cryptids come from. Apparently, yeah. No, it's uh, if you want to see something weird and horrifying, Clacton's your place. <laughs> I quite like it. I like. Oh my god! In the arcade, they've got a giant version of Hungry Hungry Hippos that you yes, can stick on the hippos. It's great. I've, yeah, I've been there. It's great. So, you know, if you want to go cryptid hunting and play a life-size version of Hungry Hungry Hippos while stuffing your face with candy floss. And they've got thousands of those penny pusher machines. Oh, they do. I love them. So addictive. And we've won stuff from them. Yeah. So, so it's it's pretty good. Pretty good stuff. And the pier has got all sorts on it. So, woo, Clacton. We recommend Clacton. We do. And their library was lovely. We met some lovely people in the library. We've got an upcoming um, Area 6 on the road. Um, one particularly interesting character. Uh, <laughs> yeah, coming I'll up, never, I'll never forget. No, 
<laughs> Embedded in my memory forever. Scarred. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so this was a, a reptoid encounter, and I got this off Deborah Hatwell's uh, map. God bless Deborah. We love you. Uh, again, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, so this was the witness report. Um, there's no name. I think a lot of people don't put their names on there because for fear. I mean, even now, I mean, ghosts perhaps not, but cryptids and things like that, people still a bit nervous of telling their stories because of the stigma attached to them. But, you know, people see weird crap. And I like how this one starts out because I think a lot of cryptid stories, see if you can guess what I'm going to start out with. When do people see the most cryptid stories? What are they doing? Are they having sex? No. That's, I was like, sorry. <laughs> it's you. You always you always bring dogging into it. How was I to know that this is the one time you don't? No. This is putting the bins out. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> when you most likely to see UFO, most UFO, a lot of UFO and cryptid sightings, I was putting the bins out. They're all attracted to refuse, the smell of uh, uncooked Bits of chicken and... Well, I saw uh, one of my UFOs I saw when I was um, putting the bins out. I think it's because you go outside and you just like... It's a moment where you go, ah, that job's done. And you take a minute to look around you. I don't know. I'm talking rubbish now. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the report. I was putting my bin bags out in the garden and I heard a strange noise that sounded like someone falling from a tree. I looked over to where I heard the noise and I don't know what kind of being it was it just looked at me i felt like it was dreaming or i felt like i was dreaming or something and it was like it was surreal like something out of a movie he what says he so i'm assuming they went with thinking it was male he was about seven foot tall and he looked like a human with lizard skin it moved one step closer to me and i moved back almost into the house it then changed color and went completely invisible and i jumped up into the and jumped up into the tree it fell from. The branches were moving, but I could not see it at all anymore. It sounds messed it sounds messed up, but I know what I saw. And do you know what? I've been watching a TV series called um Alaskan UFOs on Amazon Prime. That story is nearly word for word what people have seen in the trees in um oh. different um towns and villages this sort of like um chameleon sort of giant reptile humanoid figure that jumps from tree to tree and it's quite sentient it almost like they get that they know they're being watched almost psychically like they won't see the person but they'll like look up and turn around and almost know what people are thinking don't they have um reptiles tend to have the uh prey like eyes don't they on the either side of their head so that's how they'd be able to sense surely because they have a well, bigger they, peripheral vision than like the predator eyes which are on the forward facing um i don't know i think there's sort of like in between like when you see aliens with almond eyes they're sort of partly um binocular and then partly peripheral mm. um but it was just weird that if you if you watch any sort of like especially alaska like um Close encounters of the fourth kind, you know what? No, the fourth kind is when you're abducted, isn't it? Close encounters of the third kind, where you will witness and are witnessed by a, a creature. Um, you will often get chameleon skin mentioned, mm. and also in Clacton. <laughs> Maybe they were going. I mean, I'm not making fun now because I genuinely think this person, you know, saw something odd. I've seen something odd while stuck. In the garden, as we all know from um, our gnome episodes. <laughs> um, Getting more rocks thrown at your head recently. No. Mm. Oh, I do have a bit of a story, though. There's nothing to do with cryptids. What happened? Um, we, haven't had, we haven't had one of these strange incidences for so long now. Well, I haven't seen a dead bird or a bird fly down my chimney and you haven't had a rock thrown at your head for ages. Well, <laughs> I, I'm cryptided out for one for, one, for this time. I have one more. You held one back. Oh, I wasn't holding it back. I was waiting to the to <laughs> me to stop waffling. You can say it. <laughs> um, so this one I have titled the Hobgob Hollybob. Oh, and uh, this is about a hobgoblin. 
Um, and actually, there's two reports of a hobgoblin. The first one I've got here is from 1838. It appeared in the Chelmsford Chronicle on Friday, the 23rd of February. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is about a hobgoblin that took a little holiday. It's already adorable. A cockney ghost in the country. We were told a great deal a few days ago about an ungentlemanly ungentlemanly hobgoblin who roamed up and down the byways and even the highways of London, frightening innocent serving maids out of their senses. And the footpaths besides... Hang on. Again, terrible typeface from the uh, the old newspaper here. It is almost impossible to read some of this. Um, besides doing all kinds of other uncivil things to the wonderment of policemen and spinsters of 74... And now it appears he is making a tour of Essex, probably for the benefit of his health. As a butcher in Upminster testified, whilst trembling, on Tuesday last, our butcher, as strong and apparently fearless as the old oaks of the forest, was returning from Corbett's tie to his dwelling about the verge of midnight. And of course, in thought, still halts... Hang on, this is... Very difficult to read. In thought, in thought, still half absorbed and child with cold, when an object frightful to behold, a grisly spectre clothed in silver grey, around his feet, waving shadows play, stands in his path. So this is in rhyme for some reason. This is love. I was going to say this is very poetic. Stands too as huge and hideous as if all the ghosts of bullocks, sheep and pigs and poultry he had slaughtered had been rolled into one and how shrieked out like Shakespeare's spirits. The butcher is come, the fierce, cruel butcher who stabbed us in the shop in Upminster. It is impossible that flesh and blood, at least such flesh and blood as walk about the soil of Essex, could stand against this. The butcher made a resolute plunge, but Mr Ghost was not to be balked for his fun in this way. He was in that direction before him. In every dodge, the butcher found himself confronted by the gentleman of the cocked tail and saucer eyes till at last, wound to desperation, he fled, looking neither behind nor to the right hand or to the left until he reached the sanctuary of human habitation. And what of the hobgoblin, says the, bu- says the reader, we cannot tell whether it was composed of thin air, of the good things which hospitality deals out at Corbett's tie, or whether it was formed of substance which could have been most effectually laid out with an oaken cudgel. We must leave it to those who are deeper read with science and ghostology to determine. Quite a mouthful towards the end, then. It was... Re- they don't write by halves, these people. Like, oh. When was this written? This was in 1839, so... Is uh, that was that that just took all the energy out of me. Bless you. I like However, the fact that he came to Essex for the good of his health. <laughs> like the, the doctor health, said to him, to terri- get to terrify a butcher for the butcher's part in killing all those sheep and pigs and cockerels and whatever. Oh, I wonder um, if he's still around. Yeah, just uh, terrifying butchers in Upminster. There is another one because I I thought. Well, apparently this ghost has been seen around London a lot. I wonder if there's anything in the uh, the, the newspaper before that. You going off to London again? <clears throat> no, I didn't find I didn't find any mention of his exploits in London. Mm. However, I did find another entry in Essex Go for earlier than the one with the butcher, and this happened in Chelmsford in 1810. And uh, this was uh, this came from the newspaper. Uh, which was looking back a hundred years. So they, this entry from 1810 was put into a 1910 uh, newspaper as a look back a hundred years at what we've just found in our archives. And now I'm looking back at it from 2024. It's like we're in a time time warp. <laughs> and this is actually a poem about the Coxall Lane ghost. Actually, the Coxall Lane, it isn't Chelmsford. This is Braintree. Um, so it goes... Old men and bedlams in the streets do prophesize upon it. Some folks have seen, or they feign frightful ghosts in Coxall Lart. In various shapes it seems to strike, no two can think of it alike, 
a wolf, a bear, a horse, an ape, as fear and fancy give them shape. One says tis white, another blue, some swear tis black, the devil's hue. Tis red, some say, and others yellow. Some say tis but some wicked fellow dressed up to fright whoever passes. Poor simple fools or simple asses. Some think, in fact, it is like no man, whilst others think it is a woman. Some say that it barks just like a dog, others that it is most like a hog. Some say it crows like a male fowl, others it hoots just like an owl. Some say it shrieks shrill like a bat, others say it mews like a tomcat. Some say it is like a calf or a bull, with similar eyes like a moon at full. Others who chance that way to pass say it was nothing but an ass or ass. <laughs> I love Some it. Some say tis neither flesh nor blood and wouldn't hurt you if it could. An armless offspring, inoffensive sprite, a mere hobgoblin of the night, but some more superstitious still think that it may lead to something ill or even that it might portend to the world soon to be at end. Others who apprehend worse evil still tis a spirit of the devil, but now the truth shall out before ye. Tis just like a what? A Coxall story. I like that poem. I yeah, like the it fact it poem. didn't really describe it whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. you know, it could be blue, it could be red, could be there. <laughs> I think that's the problem is that so many people claim to have seen this hobgoblin that they had no description of it whatsoever. Yeah. It was I decided to put in a poem anyway. <laughs> oh, it's quite a character. I like it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know whether Hobgoblin really fitted into Cryptid or Fae, but I just enjoyed that so much when I found it. I just really wanted to include it this episode. I mean, there's so much crossover anyway. I think, yeah. It it, it had cryptoid bits. <laughs> I like it. Yes. <laughs> oh, I do re- like venturing into cryptid territory. It's um, entertaining, to say the least. It's always a good time. Like... I think that's something about cryptids is kind of the very essence of folklore, isn't it? I mean, it's un, there's a sort of part unbelievability, but also it's rooted in the everyday. It's sort of like, like our mythological creature. It's yeah. like it could be, so, it could, what I like about cryptozoology, it, it could be a creature we just don't understand yet. And mm. we are going to be getting, um, Richard Freeman from the Cryptozoological College in to talk about Bigfoot's mainly and nice. Woodwows. And he's, I mean, he actually goes on expeditions to look for crypt, uh, cryptid creatures. So um, we really look forward to talking to him um, with his expertise. Mm-hmm. As I say, we have got some really good guests lined up for this year. We just need to get our, get our stuff together. <laughs> Yeah, 2024 is uh, started with quite a I mean, illness and God knows what else. Well, I think we're always ill. There's always at least one of us ill. Oh, it's uh, the curse of, you know, immune and... Autoimmune disease. And autoimmune diseases and things and... Your body attacking itself, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we um, hope you... Sorry. I said, well, I just said fun. I have a couple of podcast recommendations. Oh. Uh, we haven't done that for a while, so I thought... No, I we would. haven't. We should. Um, so I've been listening to After Dark with Anthony Delaney and Dr. Maddie Pelling recently, and it's brilliant. I really love it. <laughs> I listened to their um, Elizabeth Bowery episode, which I'd heard that story before, and they really shone some light onto it that I hadn't even really thought of prior. And they did a really good episode on werewolves, um, which I took some inspiration from when I was talking about the Berserkers earlier. Um, it's just, it's a great podcast. I really recommend anyone listening to it. And they had on uh, somebody, uh, they had Matt Lewis on from Gone Medieval podcast as well, which Ooh, is also I like brilliant. That. Yeah. I shall add that to my list. I'm always looking for new ones because I love, I love having a podcast on the background. It's, it was so, it got us all through lockdown, didn't it? <laughs> and started started us on this. Started us on this. I've got. Well, it's not really. Well, I suppose it is a recommendation. I mean, we've recommended them before because they've been on Lawmen, 
but I've got an extra extra little reason to recommend them at this point because mm-hmm. I went on there at Christmas with my Welsh pig stories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was Christmas pig number two. Danny Robbins was Christmas pig number four, so to be counted Ooh, in amongst Danny the Christmas. Robbins. I I know. So, I mean, it was, I sort of, I was, I thought it was going to be James and Alistair, but it was just James, which is lovely. I love James. You so thought, I, oh, it was just James. It was just James. But <laughs> I, I see that as in, I stood in for Alistair Beckett King, which makes me feel quite special. <laughs> Who we're seeing in April. Yes, we are. He's coming to Colchester. Woohoo! So, uh, yeah, that's a good night out for us. <laughs> yeah, so I think he's touring around everywhere. So we highly recommend seeing him live because he is hilarious and a folklore nerd. Anyway. Right. Anyway. <laughs> so we hope you enjoy this month's episode and we'll be seeing you very soon. Or you'll be hearing us very soon. We won't be seeing you. That'll we be creepy. We'll just you. like be in your window. Just yeah, we, <laughs> we always see you. We're always watching. Always watching. Um, yeah, so we'll see. You soon. No, I just said that. We'll yeah. see you soon. You'll hear from us soon. It's goodbye from Elsa. And it's goodbye from Bethan. Bye. If you'd like to get in contact with us with a story of your own or any more information about what we've discussed in this episode, you can reach us at eerieessexpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to contact us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram under the handle Eerie Essex. On Twitter, we are under Eerie underscore Essex. You can also find us on Patreon and Coffee if you'd like to support the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>